Hey, it's Wendy. I'm back with a new podcast episode today. And in fact, I'm here with a whole entire podcast series. And this series is going to be one where I interview all of the new instructors that are going to be instructors in Fodder School 3. And I'm really excited to bring this to you because everyone has a story and I can't wait to tell all of their stories. So without further ado, I bring you today's podcast episode. Welcome to Show Up or Shut Up, a podcast about prolific makers, specifically in the world of mixed media art. I'm your host, Wendy Solganic, also known as Willa Wanders, and I'm here to explore the ups and sometimes the downs of being a prolific mixed media artist. I've been a maker my entire life, and I've had four, yes, four separate careers involving art. In each episode, we'll talk to artists about how they became prolific makers, why they make art, and the struggles they go through. We'll talk about being an online creative, social media, and how to navigate that world if that's what you're into. Whether you're a casual art lover of mixed media art and collage, or a serious artist making a living with art, whether you're a handmade book artist, an art journaler, a 3D assemblage creator, a fiber artist, a collage artist, or everything all at once, I hope you'll join me on this journey into the world of mixed media making. If you like this podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. You can find me, Wendy, at willowwanders.com and on Instagram at willa.wanders and at fodder.school. Hello, Allison. Hello, Wendy. Great to be here. We are so happy to have you. Welcome to my random podcast that I call <laughs> Celeper Shut Up that does not occur on any kind of regular schedule. Very much when I have someone that I want to bring on that I feel like I want to have a conversation with and then I invite them on the podcast. And like we were talking about before I hit the record button, the purpose of this podcast is to hear other people's creative stories so that each of us who listens can connect with our own creativity. If anyone hasn't figured that out yet, <laughs> that is why I create this podcast. And I'm so curious about you, Allison, and your whole entire story. So let's just start from the beginning. Where were you born? In Hartford, which is a small, was then a small market town just outside London, just north of London. And I lived round about there for most of my life, coming and going with sort of 10 years in London at one point, and then another 10 years coming and going from Stratford-upon-Avon, more of which later. So that's that was the beginning of my life. And then how long ago now? Th three years well, ago. You, I know a little oh, bit about you. So were, okay. you very in, were you very involved in the arts? And yes. specifically which yes. arts? Theatre. Theatre has been the centre of things. From age three, I was one of the little ballet girls on Saturday mornings, not one of the horse riding girls. So I would go for my, from eight, yeah, age three, literally. And I would go in the morning, three-year-olds three were at nine o'clock. And then I would just beg my mum to be allowed to stay so that I could watch the progressive ages going through till noon when you would end up with the 15, 16-year-olds who were obviously quite advanced because I just, I wanted to watch it all. And so that was my first love was dance. And then theatre became absolutely central to me as a sort of, oh, not escape, that's not the right thing, but a place where it felt to me like life was lived in a more intense way. And my favourite films when I was little were things like Kiss Me Kate where you get to see all the backstage action as well as what's going on stage. And that backstage world was the bit that thrilled me. It wasn't about the performing. It, it wasn't about the actual probably being on stage bit. It was that kind of sense of duality of two lives, of a performance state 
and a lived state and how those two things interacted. And yeah, I was fixated by that and transfixed as well, already quite early. I remember, again, my mother sat me down on a Saturday afternoon in front of BBC Two, the artsy sort of channel in the UK on television, to watch Laurence Olivier's Henry V. And at first I couldn't understand what was happening and she said, be patient, in a minute it's going to open out into a wider world and you'll be able to understand it. And I did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I guess maybe about six. And I'm not saying I understood in a dictionary way every word, but I understood the, and the gut and the rhythm and the, and it lit me on fire. And so Shakespeare, words, I'm known as words and pictures in the online world. And words were very much the first part of that, the place where I was at home for a good four and a half nearly five decades before pictures really got a look in when people I'm ask so me curious about this because when I think about the type of person who loves dance and becomes a dancer I imagine a person who's very in touch with the body part of themselves and so you said your first love was dancing yeah and then you were able to fall in love with words which well, it's, words, it's, it's not words on pages. I think that's right. I do love reading. I, I'm a voracious reader. I love books. But the most exciting presence of words to me in the world is words alive in bodies and mouths and ears. And that full-bodied connection to language is something that I think we've really lost touch with in a major way. One of the things that really excites me about the world that Shakespeare was writing in was that Almost nobody could read and write. Literacy ran at about 20% of the population. So words were a thing that happened in mouths and in bodies and in ears. And they were much closer to music than we probably think of them today. And that's certainly true in Shakespeare's language. So as my life moved on, I've gone through various stages. I was an actor for a dozen years after university. And what I have been making money at most in the last 15, 20, golly, yeah, I'm not going to count years, is as a text and voice coach in the theatre, working principally with Shakespeare. I spent 10 years with the Royal Shakespeare Company as text and voice coach and then senior text and voice coach. And for me, the whole thrill of Shakespeare is when it's alive right to the fingertips. It's when the pulse rate of the verse is happening in your heart, both as the speaker and the listener. And it's that sense of playfulness with language that he has. Words, words aren't just meaning for Shakespeare. They are gut and heart and longing and rhythm. And they are so full of extra dimensions. And playfulness with language, I think, is where it connects through then into playing in a visual sense. The sense that you could have a thing that when one person listens to it, it means one kind of thing to them and enters them in a certain way. And when somebody else hears it, it opens up different places in the brain and in the heart. And I think that's the same with the visual arts, that it's about subjectivity. It's that when I put colors or shapes or imagery down on a piece of paper, it's coming from one place of inside of me. But when it travels out to the viewer, then it's over to them and each person who looks at a piece of artwork will receive it differently and I think it's that communication of the arts it's that transaction between the maker the speaker the writer the drawer the painter the dancer who is infusing whatever they're doing with something that comes from inside of them and it's how that thing from inside of them goes out into the audience, the spectator, and hopefully does something inside of them. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. You're bringing up for me a lot of big questions that I have about <laughs> art and life. And okay, so at this point, I would love for anyone who's listening to stop what they're doing and look at your work, look at your artwork. We're going to get into the whole story about how you became 
also a visual artist, but so that people have a frame of reference for the type of art that you make. Can you just tell everyone what your Instagram name is so people can go look? Yes, absolutely. So it is words and pictures, but because that was obviously taken by the time I came very late to Instagram, it's words and pictures all in one, but you have to make the O of words into a zero and you have to make the I of pictures into a one. So words and pictures, but a zero in words for the O and a one in pictures for the I. And I think that should get you to me. It's actually a really cute name on Instagram. And then I was really delighted because I have a secondary account, which is about where I now live, which we haven't got onto yet, which is the middle of nowhere in the Czech Republic. So my other account is sort of nature and the garden and the little bits of my life here. And that is at Bohemian Home. And I was able to do the same thing. So in Bohemian Home, the O's are zeros and the ones, are, the I's are ones. And it works for both of them. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of wordplay that really makes me happy. I love it. It's so true to you. Okay. So before I get into my most deep questions about sure. art and life, tell us how you incorporated the visual arts into your life or how that happened for you because you were so focused on the theater. Yeah, it was completely accidental. I should say that for years growing up, I was a helper and assistant to my mother in her hobby which is doll's houses and miniature making. I've fiddled about with Fimo modeling a clay, making vegetables and bread and all of that kind of thing. And so I, it wasn't that I was entirely out of touch with the making of things, but it, it was always because she said, can you make X? And I would just go, oh yeah, all right. And rather than that I felt driven probably to do it. I was hugely enthusiastic about it as a hobby and that sort of thing of tiny things coming to life in your hands is obviously exciting. But it wasn't something that was self-driven. I helped my sister-in-law, who was at that time a scrapbooker. She wanted to make... Uh, I know. Where'd you go? She wanted to make, a, I think it was a 60th birthday album for my mother. I think it was that one. And she said, she was running out of time. She said, could you help me out with a few pages? I can give you some supplies for you to play with and you can create a few pages and that would really help me out. So she set me up with that. This was while I was still working in Stratford-upon-Avon. So they dropped off a box of stuff, she and my brother, and went away again. And so I was messing around with these things and arranging things on the page and going, oh, okay, I see how this works. And you want this color and this shape and put that over there. And then I ran out of stuff. So Do you remember I... approximately what year this was? Yeah, hang on. It was just before I left the RSC. So it is now... Coming up for 15 years ago, Tw no, 12, 13 years ago, I think. Okay, so it wasn't during the absolute heyday of scrapbooking. It was a oh, little no, bit. No, absolutely not. No, okay. I don't think so. I think after, so I ran out of supplies that she'd left me and I foolishly probably, in hindsight, went online to try to find some stuff, having no idea of the scale of the thing that was just about to hit me. And by chance, one of the first sort of supplies that I hit upon was were Tim Holt's distress inks, which at that point, I think there were maybe 25 colours in the range and bits and pieces. And, and so I thought, well, that seems useful. And I was lost. I just fell completely in love with that relationship between pigment and water. And I think, again, it was partly to do with the spontaneity and the unpredictability of it. I just... And the stamps. Yeah, the stamping. Stamping was really big for me right away because I think I'd always, I think I'd seen them at, in the UK. We have big festival fairs where you can go and see crafts people at work. And I think I'd seen wooden blocked stamps years and years ago. I was probably 10 and thought, oh, they're charming. They're rather cute. And suddenly here were these stamp sets that weren't on wood, but you had all these pictures that you could create with and you didn't have to draw anything and you could just color things and create things and layer th layering layering and yes and so that was the beginning of a very very slippery slope in terms of supplies and just diving in full headfirst and one of the very first live craft shows I went to I 
I found myself at the paper artsy stand. So paper artsy have been a huge part of my crafting journey. And I watched Leandra Frenich, who's the founder of paper artsy with her husband, Mark, creating for hours. And I bought loads of stuff from their stand and went off and I was creating stuff and blogging about it. And out of the blue, Leandra got in Wait, touch. You were st- creating stuff and blogging about it. We just, we skipped off. <laughs> I had heard of that. We didn't. Because okay. as soon as I was, okay. So one major thing we did miss was that all of this happened at a point when I had just decided it was time to stop being full-time at the RSC. The Royal Shakespeare Company is a glorious place to work. And I wouldn't have missed those 10 years for anything. But it is insanely full on and I had missed so many friends weddings and major birthday parties because theatre schedules don't allow if you're in tech or dress rehearsals you're there you you can't just say no I'm sorry I've got somewhere else to be and I had just decided at that point around the same time that my sister-in-law arrived with this scrapbooking stuff that it was time to call it a day in full-time terms. I was very, I was going to go freelance. And I thought I was doing that in order to have more time to spend with friends and family. That didn't really happen because into that space poured all this visual creativity that I simply had no idea was in there, that I had no idea was a, a thing my heart and fingers needed to explore. So I had time on my hands for that first sort of six months before I really started to establish, I'm out here, I'm a freelancer and I'm available for work again. And because I was, you know, watching YouTube videos or seeing other people's blogs, I was finding out how to do this stuff by reading other people's blogs. It was when blogging was still really a very major activity, certainly in the craft or creative world. Oh, yeah. It was major so, for everything yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. That was the yeah, so, that was the primary source of non-person-to-person connection. It was the primary source of internet connection. Exactly. So you can and meet it, people from all over the world and communicate with them and meet people who had similar interests than you and learn from each other. And it was all it done was on blog. Exactly that. Exactly that. And it felt so exciting to do exactly what you've just been saying connect and so it seemed automatic to set up my own blog and share this incredible journey that I was so excited about and I like to write I like words anybody who looks at my blog will see that they're quite wordy it's not here's a picture and have a look at this from the very beginning I wanted to share all the nitty-gritty and how a piece would arrive and what I was using to make it because that that seemed to me But the essence of it, I guess, being a text and voice coach, part of that sort of, I suppose, teacher element, although I have to say that's a word I run away from, was always a sort of, it it was second nature to me to, to share the thing I'm doing and show other people how they could do it too, if they wanted to. So the blog right from the beginning was that. And I was making things with these paper artsy products. And then out of the blue, Leandra got in touch to say, would I like to come on board as a paper artsy designer, not designing stamps, but creating with their stamps and paints to to show and share. On their design team. Design team, exactly. And I'd been on a couple of design teams already. There's been lovely Artistic Outpost when it was still Artistic Outpost, Artistic Stamper, which is a UK company. So I dabbled in design teams, but Paper Artsy felt like a really big step up in lots of ways, just because they have a really worldwide reach. And that was the beginning of a really long and productive relationship. I now have my own line of stamps with Paper Artsy. The first stamps I created were word stamps. So they are collections of quotes that I love from across the centuries, philosophy, literature, plays that have... I guess, a little more depth to them than some of the sort of wordies. Don't get me wrong, I love word stamps of all kinds. I've got hundreds of them, but they all tend to be fairly short and sharp. Seize the day, have a great time. What a wonderful day it is. And because words are such a central thing in my life and because they have moved me so much or have opened doors when every door felt shut or have given me moments of joy and light when times looked dark, those were the things I wanted to be adding to my projects and that just didn't seem to be out there. So I 
I approached Leandra and said, look, how, what do you think of this as an idea for some stamps? And I'm delighted to say that they took me up on that and many sets. So each set is around a theme. So there are, there's a set of 10 quotes around darkness and light, or there's a set of 10 quotes about love, or there's a set of 10 quotes about gardens and growth, or a set of 10 quotes about night and day. So that those words are there to go with the pictures. And then we're back sitting, to we're back to words sitting, and pictures. Are you sitting in your studio right now? No, I'm just next door. Gotcha. I was wondering if you had any of those stamp sets close by and you could read some of the quotes. I'm so curious. Oh, if you're, willing, if you're willing to wait 25 seconds, I can yeah. certainly go and get a couple. I'm yeah. Totally, have, hold your horses. Wait. <laughs> Give me a second. Okay. Okay, good. And of course, in the magic of podcasting, the audience won't have had to wait at all. <laughs> um, so let me see. There's this is the set Magic and Wonder. And so there are little short ones like Life Itself is the most wonderful fairy tale, which is Hans Christian Andersen. Or there's something that takes us all the way back to ancient Greece with Socrates. Wisdom begins in wonder. Little bit of Shakespeare, this is as you like it, a wonderful and most wonderful. So those are light and exciting. Walt Whitman is on there as well. Seeing, hearing, feeling are miracles, and each part and tag of me is a miracle. So there's that kind of thing going on. Friends and friendship. This set has Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Friendship is like a sheltering tree. Well, then we've got a lot. I love this one. The only way to have a friend is to be one. Quite right, Ralph Waldo Emerson. To find one real friend in a lifetime is good fortune. To keep him is a blessing. So that's sort of happening. Fabulous. This, now, they might totally understand why these are fabulous. These are, yeah, these yeah. are way more interesting. Let me give you a couple from yeah. Life and Living, which is so to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all. That's Oscar Wilde. Helen Keller said, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Then Albert Einstein, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. So they are, oh, and then something that just has a little more poetry to, in its heart. Let your life lightly dance on the edges of time, dew upon a leaf. That's Rambrindranath Tagore. So they are... They're words that have meant a lot to me over time. And for years, I have kept a quote book where I've just grabbed and written down anything that stirred me or moved me or excited me. So lots and lots of the quotes on these sets are drawn from there. And then I've added to them as time has gone on. We definitely have that in common. I am very moved by quotes. I definitely collect them. <laughs> they are something, a huge part th of my art. I think, and again, that's where it connects to the visuals for me. It's when somebody puts into words something that makes you understand you're not alone in what you're feeling. And I think the totally. same thing can happen with a piece of art, that you look at a piece of art and you understand where that person is coming from and you understand that you're not alone in the world in being where you are or going through what you're going through. So one of the things that I've always wondered about my own art and about my process is why are words so important to my art? Like when mm -hmm. I make a piece of art or I'm working in a journal, there's maybe two ways it could go down. One is it's a meditation and the actual process becomes the art so yeah. it would be yeah. me just painting squares over and over again mm -hmm. and it's literally just about the meditation and then the other type of art that I am just drawn to over and over again is a piece of art that has a quote on it and uh -huh. it's like I could make a piece of art and oftentimes when I make art I feel like it is very unfinished Unless it has a quote that has deep meaning to me on it or embedded in it. And yeah. I noticed this about myself a few years ago. And I was like, I guess I better honor that part <laughs> of myself that just really 
feel so connected to these quotes and you just yeah. nailed why that is. You just said it. You said because a great quote makes you feel like you are not alone. Yeah. And, I, and that's know, truly the source of it. And here's what I just cannot wrap my brain around. A ton of people make incredible art, art that I love, and it does not have a quote on it. But for some reason with my own art, it almost always has to have a quote on it. And I don't understand why that is, but I just go with it because it's just a feeling that I have when I'm creating. It's like, I, I think mean, it's just, oh, I think there's no reason why words can't be just another creative tool, like a paintbrush, like a stamp. They are. Like, and for some people, their main tool when they're working might be a brayer or it might be a jelly plate or it might be this, and without that jelly plate, their work is, doesn't feel like their work to them. Words, words have, a, have a place in that same way. And if you are somebody for whom that's a thing, then to leave them out would feel like leaving out the jelly plate or leaving yes. out the white splatter or leaving out the blue shadows. It's a, it becomes an integral part of the work that you make, and therefore without it, it feels incomplete to you. So I love that we have the freedom to make whatever art that we want to create and that we live in a time where all art is not fine art. It would be very difficult for me to imagine if I really wanted to make art and the drive was that it needed to go in a gallery or a museum. Yeah. No, I would probably feel like I don't belong here because putting quotes on your art definitely brings it into, I'm sure there's some fine artists who have quotes on their art, but the type of art that we make is not, it's just, it's a different type of art. So I would love to hear about how you've reconciled that for yourself. Cause I can only imagine that every person who is drawn to mixed media art has to reconcile within themselves their purpose? Yes, and I do still feel that I haven't necessarily found my final purpose yet. It still feels to me very much like a new... If, you, if I compare the amount of time I've spent creating these visual pieces, that's maybe a dozen years, compared to probably 40 years working in and around theatres. And so I'm aware that I'm still pootling around in the foothills and I can see ahead of me peaks and mountains that I would love to scale in terms of the visual world, just because I know the size of the possibility of the journey from the theatre word side of things. And so there is still very much an ongoing journey for me. So there's a sort of, there's another part of my visual creativity, which has only been taking place for maybe two or three years which is digging deeper into watercolours and botanical watercolours specifically. And those, funnily enough, I don't feel the urge to put words on. It, it feels like a, a very different form of creativity. It's still very challenging to me. So it might be that when I get more comfortable with it, I do go, oh, I understand where I am now. And now I'm ready to add in the words which matter to me. Or I might be completely fine with letting those stand. And that whole sort of continuum, I really wouldn't put it in one camp of fine art and one camp of other art. I think there's a range of ways to create visually. And I hate the notion that somebody could look at something somebody's made and go, it's not proper art, is it? In a sort of exclusive kind of way. In the same way that it bugs the hell out of me that for decades, if not centuries, Shakespeare was appropriated by academics and the upper classes as something that belonged to them when he was a writer of the people. And one of the great journeys for me with Shakespeare has been going into schools and doing workshops of taking Shakespeare to people who don't ordinarily have access and going, no, this is a thing that belongs to all of us if we approach it in the right way. And so I, uh, part of me would, <laughs> in a revolutionary kind of way, would be tearing down the walls between this kind of notion of, oh, what we're doing over here is proper and what you're doing over there is a hobby. It's clearly so much more than a hobby. For all of us, it's a passion. It's a lifelong journey. It's an exploration. 
and I don't, I'm a resenter of pigeonholes. I'm a resenter of labeling. I, for all that I love words, I don't think they should be used to put labels on people or labels on people's creativity. Creativity is a wonder and a gift. And there's a brilliant, here I go again, Maya Angelou quote, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. Very often when people say to me, but how did you get from theatre Shakespeare coaching to this that you're doing. It's all part of the same me. It's a different medium through which to express a thing as I travel through the world. But it's still me that is appearing in those colors, in those shapes, in those layers, in the same way as it's me that is appearing when I unpick a Shakespeare speech and find out what those particular images or words or phrases offer either to me or to, to an actor who is performing it. So I suppose in terms of reconciliation, because that's what you asked, was how would I reconcile that sense of what the art I'm creating is, I, I would sh probably shut the door in the face of somebody who tried to come in and say, yeah, but it's not proper what you're doing, is it? That's not really what I'm saying. So Okay, good. I'm so tell me again. What I'm asking you is about Maybe it is. This is, I do believe this is the conversation that everyone is having in their heads about having purpose. I think it's so important to human nature to have purpose yeah. in life. And you specifically said, I see that there are mountains to climb. I see that there are hills to climb and mountains to conquer. And yeah. I think that what drives people to look out ahead and want to wake up in the morning and have the spirit of wanting to climb the hills is that they see that there is a purpose. And yes, and I, I think, are, I, sorry, carry on. Okay, there are many purposes that someone could choose when they feel compelled to make art. Yes. And it's like, you could become a designer. You could become an interior designer. You could become an architect. You could become, I'm just giving it a label just because it's easier. Sure. Fine artist who pursues gallery shows. You could become a scrapbooker. You could become a potter. You could become, there's endless things that can become your purpose. Yeah. And in the world that you and I both love to be in, which is the mixed media art world. Yeah. Yeah, of course there is some crossover into the gallery art world, but it's really a lot of people who have, for whatever reason, chosen the idea that, you know, that, that train, the gallery train is not something that is either appealing to them or accessible to them, but they choose to make art for other purposes. Yes. To answer that question, my purpose always in life, I think, has, is learning and growth. It's finding out new things. It's wanting to know what's around the next corner. It's wanting to see what's possible. And it's sharing that journey and those discoveries. I said earlier, I shy away from the word teacher just because teachers have such a bad rap these days. You're a sharer. Yeah. Voice and text coach feels better to me. I would never call myself a voice teacher. That's ever, ever, ever. Yeah. It's about a bringing somebody along on a journey, not a hit. I'm back to a quote again. There's a very fundamental 1960s quote about education that children are candles to be lit not jugs to be filled. And I think very often when we think of education these days, because certainly in the UK, the way governments have handled education for the last 40 years is that you have to have a checklist and a tick box and you have to fill them up with a certain amount of information and send them off. That's not it. It's lighting somebody's candle so that they are inspired to go off themselves and find things out that you start a fire, you don't try and fill somebody up with a finite amount of information. And I think that's the same for me just as I go through my life. If I ever thought that I knew everything about any given thing, that would be death for me. That's it. That's over. 
the notion that you know everything, you've stopped being curious. Curiosity. There you go. I'm going to say my purpose is curiosity. I've always been process-oriented, not end-product-oriented. I almost don't care what the end piece looks like if in the state of creating it, I have been in a state of flow, I have been following a gut or a heart or a muse, whatever you want to call it, and it has allowed me to expand parts of my imagination or parts of my knowledge or parts of my heart or sometimes given me access to a deep, dark bit of my gut that I've been hiding away for years. If through that process something opens up, then that for me is the purpose of my creativity. It's not a... Yours! So good at putting into words <laughs> what everyone who makes mixed media art is doing it for. I think I'm going to have to take notes on this podcast episode <laughs> and write it into my journal because you nailed what it is. Thank you. I'm even as I'm talking now, I, I'm pursuing an idea. It's not that I have these ideas finished and polished, ready for you. I'm shaping them in the air with my hands because that's the only way I know how to shape a thought. And I'm going in pursuit of a thing that tries to make sense of why I do this. Because it is a compulsion in those early days, less so now. But in those early days, I would frequently bolt upright, sit bolt upright in bed at two in the morning thinking, oh, what if I did X with this piece of paint and that piece of paper? And I would have to get up right then and go and do it. These days, I'm a little more in charge of my creative imagination and I can invite it to play at times that's slightly more convenient. But it's uh, when something is a compulsion, I sometimes think trying to fathom it out or trying to apply rational explanations to it can really mess with your mojo. The minute we start second guessing ourselves or is this the right thing to do or should I be doing it more like that person over there or should I be creating something that would go in a gallery, for instance, I think for me, that then is the end of the creative process. That's That stops me in my tracks. The only thing I can do is let my fingers take the lead and then hope that my imagination and my body are connected to let something then unfold on the craft table in front of me. It's, I, I just, I want to bottle up the feeling that I got when you were talking and I'm not someone who's so great with words. I'm much more reliant on other people's words and just the feeling of I'm doing this because this fills me up. This feels exciting. Yeah. yeah. This feels yeah. new. This feels fun. Yeah that that creates i don't know if compulsion is everyone's most favorite word because there's such a <laughs> yes it's got a lot of negative stuff yeah it definitely can become very compulsive in the sense in the good sense like in Absolutely. the sense of you it it's it gives you maybe the compulsion is what gives you purpose in life it's like i'm following what feels really fun and exciting for me and if it feels compulsive because I want to do it every day or as many days as I'm able to, then that's like a joy in life. What better life than to wake up in the morning and say, what am I going to create today? Absolutely. And joy, joy and curiosity and playfulness. I, when I, you know, my theater work, my work with Shakespeare, I think people are very often <laughs> surprised when what we do is so wild and out there and mad and playful. But playfulness is the thing that gives us access to depth. It's when we can be light with ourselves that we actually allow the spaces to open up into the oh shadow world. Maybe you're going to write a book. You should record yourself. Well, just there is nothing I take more seriously than playfulness. And Shakespeare is full of murder lust, jealousy, all these really dark, ugly places in the human psyche. And for many years, there was there's this sort of method acting where, oh, you've got to take yourself in and torment yourself with digging out your deepest, darkest own personal history. It would have made no sense to Shakespeare at all 400 years ago for you to do that. The way to do it, as far as Shakespeare is concerned, 
is to open yourself up to the shapes and the possibilities in the language and just be in the moment as you speak it. And he gives you everything you need. He gives you changes of rhythm, changes of sound, from light vowels to dark vowels. When it gets knotty and uncomfortable, it'll be like a tongue twister in the mouth with lots of heavy consonants. And if your body, heart, mouth, voice, imagination connections are alive, you will take a journey into emotion. And for me, very much the same thing happens when I've got inks or paints in my hands. It's not about this is how this is supposed to happen because people have said I've got to do this. It's about this particular color is doing something to my insides and what happens then if I can if I pair it with this particular piece of texture and then again little bubbles start happening inside and it's that it's that investigation or curiosity or playfulness with the ink let me see what this does let me see what this does that you suddenly find yourself in the midst of a thing that is doing something very powerful but you can't I don't think I think it's really hard to set out to be powerful or to set out to be dark because I think again you're putting constraints on yourself right all you can do is set out to have fun all you can do to set or to set you could set out to enjoy yourself and then what unfolds is the most magical things that reveal I don't even know like I when you're talking about the colors and the textures and how they come together and how it makes me feel like that's exactly what I'm always chasing after is just that moment when I get that really satisfied and happy feeling absolutely and those things come together and do I wish I had a bunch of people lined up out my door saying I would like some of that like please give me the art that you create Give me those tags. I really want those handmade books you're making. Do I wish I had a place to, not even a place, a demand for all these things? Of course, because they're going to clog my space up. Yeah, so tell me about it. The question that I have is, again, we all have the same questions because we're all having fun doing the same thing mm-hmm. you're having fun doing. And we all want to have the most amount of fun we can before we die. So we're all getting a little bit clogged up with stuff. So have you found that (laughs) you gift your pieces? Do you give people handmade cards? What have you found as far as outlets for your creative product? Because we we all make more than we could ever stand to. Yeah. Yeah. I have boxes and boxes of stuff stacked early things that that really I wouldn't want now to sell or share because compared to where I am now, to me, they're not, they aren't as full of stuff. They aren't as full of meaning. They aren't as full of whatever it is that I'm in pursuit of. I'm not, I can't articulate that right now. That's still a work in progress for me because I think I need to make a shift from where I am feeling like I'm still at the beginning of things. So at the moment, I fe- I hang on to a lot of things because I'm worried I can't do that again. Mm-hmm. I go, this was a thing that really mattered to me as I was making it, and I even love where it ended up because it speaks to me of a certain something. And therefore, if I let it go, m- maybe I can't do that again. But actually, I, it's time for me to notice that actually I can do that again. Not the exact same thing, but I can go on a journey again that will create something of equal worth or value. In my eyes, I'm not talking about monetary worth or value. Yeah, you know, there is an element. There is an element to mixed media art that has that element of randomness in it. Yeah. And when you have something that is really magical, it can be difficult to have a consonance that you are going to make that thing again because the reality is those things came together and worked out beautifully but you don't not everything we make comes together in a way that is as exciting for us so i I understand yeah the universal feeling i think yeah i think that is 
Yeah, things were magical on that day. And we're, of course, always chasing the magic for it, but it isn't always there. So I understand that. But what about the pieces that you look at and you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, what I'm making now is so much more exciting than this. I think I can just let this go. Do you ever just. Then I would feel like, then I would feel, I would feel like I was giving somebody something of less worth than I could give them. So as a gift, that would feel. I don't know. It's a really vexed question, but I am in a transition stage at the moment. I am about to sort out the legal and tax nitty gritty here in the Czech Republic for how it will work to have an online store on my website from which I plan to be selling some of my work. I think there are watercolors that I I feel good enough about to think that other people will perhaps want them in their world and there are mixed media pieces that do feel ready to go out into the world and I do feel that I could put them on the website so I there's a sort of there's a sort of yuck yuck admin bit that has to happen first where I make sure I'm ticking all the boxes on online sales and then there is hopefully later this year not in the too distant future a moment where I do start to say here is part of my art, and if you would like to buy it, please come and buy it and see that if other people have a worth or a value for it, if other people want it. The feedback I get on Instagram and on the blog in the past makes me feel like there might be people out there. Yeah, your work is, like is very your work is very special. Your work <laughs> is very you. beautiful. That's Thank why you. I'm so attracted to your work. That's why we asked you to be a fodder school three teacher. Well, so we're so happy. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a lovely chance to connect with a whole other set of creators out there. And to me, that's been one of the joys of this visual half of the journey all the way along. I knew about theatre people and I understand theatre people and how they tick and what happens. And so it's been like a whole new gathering of human beings around the world who are creators and creatives and in, in the visual uh, mediums and getting to know what makes them tick and how we all work <laughs> is a great I joy. I love that you are going to set up an online shop and start selling work. The main, the main thing that will be there is classes. I'm already offering online classes and workshops in the words half of things. That's something I've been doing for some time. In fact, COVID kind of played into my hands with that because people became aware that this sort of thing could happen online, not just in person. And so it will also be adding pictures, classes and workshops to, to that offering. So the website will be not only pieces of art, but also pieces of me. A chance to come on a journey with me in a class or a workshop. So I want to go back to you talking about how you have to figure out how you're going to do the taxes and the legal stuff yeah. in Czechoslovakia. So will you, if you're willing to, will you share that part of yourself? Yeah. That leaves your story of how you moved from the UK to, to the Czech Republic. Yeah, the Czech Republic. Right. My... My grandparents, my mother's parents, were Czech, and they fled from here in the late 30s in order to get away from the storm that was coming down the alley, and they went to the UK. My mother was born and brought up there. I never knew my grandfather. He died when she was 10, but I did know my grandmother for the early part of my life. She unfortunately died when I was, I think, about seven years old, but she, to me, was one of the most glamorous, extraordinary women. And she still had a very thick Czech accent. Uh, and that was a sort of big thing for me. That European half of me has always been something I've leaned to very strongly and partly as a result of Brexit, but it had been a want for a lot longer than that. I think, I think I'd always thought I wouldn't live my whole life in the UK. Gradually, the Czech Republic started to look like a good option because I was entitled to citizenship. My mother got her citizenship because of her parentage. And then because she had it, I was allowed to have it. And so in terms of things like tax and citizenship and domicile and all of that, it makes it so much easier to be here than to be anywhere else in Europe where you would have to prove income and all of those sorts of things. Regular income is not a thing that freelancers generally have. Over the course of a year, yes, I earn enough to keep myself, 
But in any given month, if you look at my bank account, it might not be that rosy. So there's that sort of thing if I were in Germany where I can speak the language or if I were in France where I can speak the language or if I were in Italy where I can muddle along in the language, <laughs> that would all be much harder in an administrative kind of way. Here in the Czech Republic, I'm allowed to be here. I'm allowed not to make any money while I'm here because I have the citizenship, the passport, the nationality. That's all sorted. But now there is an administrative thing of, I, I had no idea that when you're selling online, it's not just as simple as going, okay, I've made this much money from online sales. I'll give that proportion of tax to the Czech tax authorities. You have to tax it differently according to where the person who has bought whatever you're selling, whether that's workshops or stuff, it's a different rate according to where they've bought it from. So there's a whole logistic thing that I'm just... My head is cautious. So just a word of advice. Yeah. Don't sell directly to anyone who got a self through a platform. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. I'm sure Shopify or yeah. Etsy, that you have to work through someone who can handle the taxes. Yeah. Because there's no way that anyone as an individual business could handle the what goes on with every single country. It's a different tax rate. And how would you even be taxes? So that's why these these platforms exist. And yeah. you pay them a percentage of everything that comes yeah. in so that they will handle that side They'll of it. And, it's, of amazing. and it, it's this thing as a creative, you just go, No, I'm sorry, I don't do that stuff at all. <laughs> oh, make head or tail of it. Nobody <laughs> could do that stuff. It's so complicated. But yeah, so, no, so the Czech Republic is also it's also about trying to live more likely on the planet because as a freelance text and voice coach, I was not only working again with the Royal Shakespeare Company, but I was doing regular stints in New York with Theatre for a New Audience. And I just started to feel like, A, I couldn't continue to live my life out of suitcases. And B, I didn't want to be jumping on airplanes all the time. And I wanted to be putting down roots in a literal and metaphorical sense. I've My whole working life, first as an actor and then as a coach, have always been on the move. You go where the work is. And I started to feel a really passionate need to keep still and also to grow a garden. I'm growing more of my own food now and connected to the garden. I never in my life thought that I would be organising the freelance work I still do around the seasons in the garden. I don't consider myself, I would never have considered myself a gardener three, four years ago. So it's another it's another journey that's opened up. And I thought I was going to do it for vegetables, but of course I've been drawn to flowers. Of course I have. So there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole new learning curve set up in the garden now. And learning curves to me are the most fun there is out there. It's, it's exploration. It's finding out. It's discovering. It's failing and then trying again and then oh, trying something yeah. different. And it's another... It's another creative expressivity, I suppose. It's another way of opening up spaces in myself that I didn't really know were there. So, so did that's you the check back? Did you move back to the town that your grandparents were born in? Not quite. My grandmother was born about half an hour from here. And part of it is I wasn't the instigator of this move. My mother has been coming over here for half of each year for the last 20, 25 years. And so I visited her over here sometimes for quite extended periods of time when I've had nothing going on the work front. So she's been the spearhead really for opening up this possibility. And I'm piggybacking on her amazing bravery, courage, recklessness, whatever you want to call it, in terms of setting out to, to build for her half a life. But now she's here over here more of the time as well. And to just go, okay, I'm going to try this because it feels like an adventure I need to set out on. I am fascinated by this part of your story because I have a similar ancestral story. So uh -huh. I actually just found out that my ancestors lived in Prague. Wow, really? Yeah, which I didn't know until very recently. I found out that my ancestors lived in many countries that I had no uh -huh. idea that they lived in. Yeah. From Italy to France to the Czech Republic. Yes, <laughs> Czech there you go. Yeah, yeah, Sorry yeah, yeah. For that correction. No. So many places that I had no idea that they lived. And uh, yeah, I just, I think that the fact that your mom was drawn back 
and that you followed her is such an interesting story. And I wonder if, I just wonder what, what is going to happen with people? No. Are there going to be more people <laughs> like your mom and you? Yes, I think both my niece and my nephew have got a, uh, an eye to the future of going, they want to at least spend some extended time here, whether they've gone as far as I'm moving yet. I don't think so. They're both keen to spend more time here and explore what that might be. So who knows? The generations might continue to return. They have now got their Czech citizenship as well. My brother got his and so they're allowed it. So they, it will just, it will also just smooth things out administratively if and when both my mother and I die. If handing over the house and property and all of that is much easier now that they've got their passports and nationality. So it's practical, but I think it's also got a sort of underlying dream within it do you think that part of the dream is searching for a simpler life it's certainly a major part of it for me i don't think i could speak for either of them on that front whether that's something that's really that one of them is 18 and one of them is 14 so they're not necessarily thinking that they want to have a bit of adventure in life first i would think but i think there is there's certainly an impulse in me heading into my third age. This was another book I read about. I don't know if you've come across The Goddesses and Every Woman. It's an amazing book, Jean Shinola Bolam, I think the writer's name is. And she uses the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses as a tool to think about the kind of human being you might be and the journeys you might want to go on. And then there's one called Goddesses in Older Women. And I read the older women one and suddenly became aware that I'm very much drawn to, I, I can't remember which goddess she even aligns it with now. It just gives you a framework to think about things. Contemplation, uh, inward journeys, a kind of sense that my life has been full of thrust and hurry and pressure and deadlines and dress rehearsals and pressure. So I think there was certainly an impulse for me about finding a way to allow myself more space and time to explore inwards. And I think the visual arts have certainly been a, yes. uh, a, a, a symptom of that. I think the garden is a symptom of that. I think moving to a very small village after spending much of my life in cities of one kind or another is very much a part of that. And I think that in that simpler life, you're opening up the possibility to a deeper, more complex inner life. And I think that's the thing that I'm probably in pursuit of now. That makes sense. I do feel like that will resonate with a lot of people who listen. I do think that a lot of making this type of art is about the pursuit of your inner life. Yes. It's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because just the stopping and the, let's say, cutting, I'm, I happen to be working on making something like that. I'll call this circle buck because the executive producer of Fodder School created mm. a course on a certain type of book. And a lot of what you have to do in order to create these books is trace circles and hand cut circles. And as in tracing and cutting the circle, mm. I'm like, this truly is what makes me the most happy. Just yeah. the most simple tasks done repetitively, yeah. using beautiful materials. And it's, oh my gosh, more of this, please. Just well, more. Well, you used you use the word meditate, meditation or meditative earlier. And I think that's a huge part of, I'm lucky enough that it's a huge part of both things that I've worked on in my life, which is that sense of being in the moment, not second guessing the thing I've just done, not trying to work out what I'm going to do next, but being right in the moment, either with the words I'm uttering for the Shakespeare, for the words half of it, or right in the moment of watching that pigment spread out in that water yes. when I'm creating visually. And both of the creative impulse leads us to, I think, one of the most valuable states you can have as a human being, which is the state of flow, the state of being in the moment, of not worrying about the past or the future, 
but being right there and present in the moment. And it, it taps into various religions. You hear it in sporting lingo about people being in the zone. It's, it's not the kind of mumbo jumbo that I think a lot of people think it is. It is a real and true state of being. Oh, no one who listens to this thinks that is mumbo no, jumbo. No, oh, indeed. There, I, I wasn't meaning. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, I wasn't meaning then. Like, uh, I'm all about the flow state. Yeah. So that absolutely comes full circle with my question about that complex pull that we have with the desire to be in flow state, but also the desire to feel this secondary purpose, which yeah. is part of you that is naturally drawn to opening up a shop and trying to get your work into the world. Like those things, those complexities exist within all of us. We all love to be in flow state. We would all love to exist in our bodies and our minds in that way where that was enough. And then something happens and you start thinking about the future. It's, yeah. It's brought into what is the purpose of what I'm doing? Should I be trying to sell it? Should I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to flap that one back and go, I'm not doing it because I want to sell my work. I'm no, doing it because I want to make work. And it comes down to finances. I have just recently had to go away for three months to work in the UK. I was away for most of January, February, March, and the beginning of April to work on a show for the Royal Shakespeare Company as a freelancer. And yes, of course, it was a delight to be back working on Shakespeare, back in a theatre. It was the first time since COVID I'd been in a full rehearsal room. And that was a thrill. But it caused me physical pain to come away from my art studio, to come away from the garden, even though the garden is very much in a lull state in January, February and March in the Czech Republic. So the sort of purpose of trying to share the work through workshops and classrooms or try to share the work through selling it is in order to enable, as you say, the being in yes. flow state. I don't want to have to tear myself away for three months at a time again. I want to find another way to allow myself the goal, which is to stay still, live the simpler life, and allow that journey into inner life to continue. So it's about facilitating the journey I really want to be on. It's trying to find ways to finance that. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I think that's going on for pretty much everyone. And it's a part of us that just wants to be our soul, just wants to be in flow. Yeah. And then the part of us that has a body that needs to be fed, that sheltered. needs calories, yeah. shelter, <laughs> that needs clothing, that needs those things. Yeah. And I think that the reconciliation of that and how how we choose to spend the hours of our days is yeah. often object of my curiosity. How am I getting to a place where I'm more in flow and less in the part where I'm wondering where am I getting the money and how am I supporting this and all of that stuff. Yeah. And it's a constant push and pull. It never goes away. I keep thinking like someday I'll get this figured out. Someday I will have the resource part of it in control and the flow state part of it can be the predominant thing. And somehow I never see just no, the, way that, maybe, the way the world is corrupted. Yeah. Maybe in terms of balance, that's a good thing. Maybe, maybe it's important to have the struggle in order that when you land in the flow state, there's something there worth uncovering. Yeah. That feels so sweet. And maybe the only reason it feels so sweet is because we don't get it all the time. Exactly. Exactly. If all the world were playing the holidays to sport would be as tedious as to work. There you go. <laughs> Shakespeare. <laughs> Whatever thought you come up with, he was there first. Wait, stay that quote. I'm gonna make I'm not sure I've got all the words exactly right. If all the world were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to work. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. There you go. Yeah. Dropping a Shakespeare truth bomb. Yeah. Yes, yes, he does it. He does it a lot. Oh my gosh. 
Allison, you're a joy. I well, thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> you like you, and I cannot wait for us to experience your full you when it's your turn. <laughs> thank um, you. I think you said at the beginning the, po the podcast is show up or shut up, and I think everybody's learned that I don't shut up. I also have a hard time shutting up. <laughs> All right, I think we're gonna we're gonna call it for now. That's great. Thanks so much, Wendy. It's been a real pleasure and a real joy. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. And you. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Show Up or Shut Up podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating and review. And once again, you can find me, Wendy, free gifts for newsletter subscribers, online classes with me and many other incredible instructors, my blog, and everything else at willowwanders.com and on Instagram at willa.wanders. Talk to you soon. Until then, stay curious and keep making.